Hello and welcome to the Bible with Me podcast from Precept UK. We are a Christian charity based in Salisbury that equips people to know God deeply so they can live differently, using a wide range of Bible study resources for all ages and levels of understanding. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the ministry, and we would love to encourage you to seek the truth of God's Word for yourself using one of our inductive study books, available at precept.org.uk. Now without further ado, here's Nigel with the latest episode of the Bible Me podcast. Well, I'm delighted to welcome uh, Dave Brennan to the Bible and Me podcast today. Uh, Dave grew up in Surrey and after school he studied classics and theology at Oxford. Um, It was on a trip, however, to Africa in his 20s that his eyes were opened through his now wife to appreciate in a whole new way the real beauty and wonder of the yet unborn child in a mother's womb. And after getting married, God made it clear in extraordinary ways... Uh, that he was to go full-time and in 2018 set up a ministry called Brefos, a project of the Centre for Bioethical Reform UK, helping churches to respond to the issue of abortion. Uh, Dave lives on a boat in East Anglia with his wife Anandi and they have two daughters. So Dave, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much Nigel, it's a real honour to be here, thanks for having me. Oh, now, Dave, I ask all my guests on the podcast this question. How, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ and why do you follow him? Thank you. Well, I'm so blessed uh, to say that I was born into a, a Christian family by God's grace. And so I knew the scriptures from a very young age. I, I knew about Jesus from a young age. And I remember I must have been literally, I think, four, four years old or so. One of my earliest memories, actually, um, I remember speaking to my father and saying to him, Dad, look, I know that Jesus died on the cross, but I don't understand why. Uh, I I think I had some kind of impression that it was some kind of loving gesture. It was, there was something about it, but I just didn't understand why. And perhaps it was the wisdom of God. I don't know, but, but my dad didn't actually answer the question. He said, don't worry, son, it'll make sense in due course. He said that to a lot of questions I asked. I used to ask a lot of questions. But anyhow, he, he said, don't worry, it will make sense in, in time. And sure enough, not long after that, um, I couldn't tell you how long after that, that I remember the penny just dropped. And it really was um, uh, a light bulb moment when I realized that Jesus had died for me, that he had died for my sin, that he had saved me from uh, the punishment for, for sin, from hell. Uh, even at that young age, that made such an, an incredible impression on me. And I was just blown away by the kindness of God. And I, at that very young age, I, I cried out to the Lord and put my trust in him. And uh, I remember praying in my room late at night, um, repeatedly, actually. Um, and, and yeah, confessing Christ in my heart. And uh, although there have been ups and downs, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of those in, in, in the next few minutes, um, really, I, it's 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 never it's I've never looked back really. Um, uh, he's been faithful, and I've been following Jesus for pretty much all of my um, all of the life that I can remember by God's grace, and that's just His goodness. Um, why why am I a follower of Christ? Um, well, of course, from from God's perspective, it's it's because He's hold, He's He's been faithful. He's held me. He's called me. He's revealed Himself to me. Um, he's been kind. And from my perspective, I think for me, I've always had a great concern for what is true. You know, I think um, 
I've always wanted to know the truth at all costs, uh, whether it's comfortable, whether it's uncomfortable. And so for me, I think even at that young age, uh, but also in my teenage years and whatever, for me, if something is true, then that's where I want to go. I don't want to live in denial of the truth. I don't want to pretend that something else is the case. Of course, there are times in my life where it'd be much more comfortable pretend pretend that certain things aren't true. But I think for me, the truth has always been a big thing. But also, as I say, from that young age, just a love for Jesus, a gratitude for Jesus. And he's been so faithful uh, all my life. And he's never abandoned me. And uh, I'm continuing to learn more of his his goodness day by day. So I'm grateful. Um, really, to, yeah, I've never known, really, I've never really known life without him. Wow. Uh, and uh, what a gift. And yeah. I can only imagine what it must be to face life without Jesus, let alone eternity. Um, I've never really experienced that. And, um, and that's something I, I thank God for. Well, that's fantastic. Oh, what a blessing to come to faith at such a young age, you know. Mm. Uh, what are your memories of your childhood, uh, your upbringing, sort of school, school days, stuff like that? What was that yeah, like? I, I grew up, as I say, in a Christian home. I'm one of four boys. Um, people usually say, your poor mother, in response to that. Um, but no, we, we had a, a blessed childhood. I was a third of four. Um, and I was part of a, a, a flourishing biblical church in Guildford, which was a great blessing. So I learned the scriptures from a young age. Um, I went to just our, our local state school for the first sort of uh, six years from education. And then um, my dad actually taught in a in a private school uh, in Surrey, Charterhouse, um, which I went to from the age of 13. So I went to a prep school for a couple of years to kind of get ready for that. And then was at Charterhouse for, for five years, which I absolutely loved. A real blessing to be at uh, such a school. And I just loved all the music and sport and doing Latin and Greek and all sorts of things that you don't necessarily get to do everywhere, but I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and yeah, I'd say I had a, a, a pretty happy um, childhood. I got baptised at the age of 11 um, upon my, uh, or I professed faith earlier. It was, it was at 11 that I kind of made that, that outward commitment. Yeah. Um, and over my teenage years, I would say the big change for me, where my faith really came alive in a new way was when I was about, I think, 13. And that was the first time I really undertook to read the Bible for myself. And and what prompted that, I guess, was I, I, I've always had quite a questioning mind and I've always wanted to know what, what's the real deal here. And uh, I've heard it said enough times that, you know, the God of the Old Testament is different from the God of the New Testament. And there was this uh, claim that there was an inconsistency that I just wanted to see for myself. And so uh, at about the age of 13, I undertook to read the whole Bible from cover to cover, just start at the beginning and read right through. And I wanted to see for myself, what is this really, you know, seeing it for myself, not just what my parents are saying or my pastor, but what's it saying? What does it reveal? And actually, um, what I found through that was incredible and life-changing, um, not just at an intellectual level, but I would say that was when my faith really blossomed and came to life in a new way. Wow. So reading the Word of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. There you go. Faith comes by hearing and hearing yeah. by the Word of Christ, you know. That's right. That's right. Well, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Now, on leaving school, you studied classics and theology at Oxford. Um, so you must be a bright chap to go to Oxford. Um why did you choose these subjects and yeah. where did this lead you after leaving Oxford? Yes, yeah, so actually, it was actually just before that. Uh, I probably wasn't clear in my 
description of myself. It was just the year before that, actually, I went to Kenya. That's where I met my wife. So it was in between school and, and Oxford. So I did a gap year in Kenya, was teaching in a school there, met my now wife. Um, but I already had my, my place in Oxford, sort of deferred entry there. Um, I just always loved Latin and Greek. I, I loved those languages at school. Um, I, I've always enjoyed language. Um, in a sense, it was the kind of the obvious option. I'd always enjoyed those subjects. And actually, someone said to me when I was about 12 or something, they said, oh, you ought to have your eye on, you know, doing classics at Oxford one day. And I quite like the sound of that. So I think I always had that as a sort of background, you know, um, ambition, I guess. Um, and I, I very much enjoyed it. But it was it was halfway through my course at Oxford. Um, it was in my second year that I actually... Transfer. I changed over to theology. Um, I was enjoying classics, but I was looking over the shoulder of my friend who was doing theology, and I just really liked the look of that course. And I thought, you know what? I'm not sure I'm going to get a chance to do full time study again, at least anytime soon. And I just grabbed that opportunity. Felt, you know, in prayer and so on. Just, just clearly prompted to go in that direction. And so I, I was able to change course quite late on in the day, just over two years into my four year course. And so I switched over to theology and did my last two years in theology, which I really enjoyed. You know, I got to do Hebrew and uh, I'd already done Greek. So, you know, the biblical languages were a big part of that. Um, and yeah, very much enjoyed it. I mean, it, it was academic theology. It wasn't, as it were, um, ministry training or anything like that. It certainly had its downsides. Um, some of the people I was learning with or learning from weren't even believers, you know, so it was a... A, a strange and interesting um, dynamic, uh, but a lot of gold uh, for which I'm very grateful. And um, yeah, if, if, if God so um, wishes, I'd love to do some more theology at some point. But for now, I think that's, yeah, I can't see when that happen anytime soon, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah that's brilliant. Um, I understand you had something of a sort of a crisis of faith in your early 20s. Mm. What, what, what was that about? What happened there? Yeah, so what happened there was this is my second year of, of university. And um, in a way, I would say I, I put myself in this fix. Um, I remember walking along with a friend towards the end of my first year, I think it was, university. And I've, I've often had a tendency to take on too much. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in lots of things and um, I found it difficult to say no. And I remember walking along with a friend of mine and I'd just been asked to, I was part of an acapella group. I was in a singing group uh, called Out of the Blue. It was an all-male singing group. Um, we used to do tours and things and, and and that was great fun. I'd just been asked to become president of that group, which really basically means the manager. It's quite a big job managing, you know, 15 unruly musicians at Oxford but uh, on tours and things. But anyway, I'd just been asked to do that. I'd also been asked to be, uh, to lead the, the college CU and I had big exams coming up in second year and I was saying yes to all of these things and I was walking along with a friend of mine um, when I was making the decision and I remember saying I probably should say no to some of these but I'm not sure I will and that was my folly I said yes to them all and I think that put me in a vulnerable position because I was chock-a-block uh, busy and uh, uh, you know there was no breathing space and um, which meant that when certain crises came along, it really rocked me. And it was the first time that, you know, at various levels, I felt as though I was tested to the limit. You know, I, I probably had some degree of arrogance as a young man, relatively able in some regards. Uh, I'd never really met my limit before. I thought my mind could take, you know, an indefinite amount of 
you know, information or challenges or whatever. But I, I met my limit that year. And what happened was, as I say, I was already very busy in, in lots of ways. But then a, a number of other things happened. Um, a, a very good friend of mine that I was sharing Christ with and, and praying that he would come in to the kingdom. And I, and I just thought he would. Um, he just turned around and said no. He heard the message. He came along to Bible studies. He knew it all. And he said no. And that really rocked me. I knew it was going to rock me. I'd invested so much in that. And it really did rock me. I felt it was that was the crisis, really. But on top of that, there was a tutor that I was very close to. And he had had a history with, of alcoholism. And he lapsed back into that. And I, I couldn't help him. Um so there were, these, there were these different kind of bombs going off, and I was so powerless um, to fix any of these things. They were beyond my control. It was very distressing. There was no breathing space. And it was the first time in my life that I lost my peace. That was the first time where I kind of felt, God, I don't know what's going on here. Um, I couldn't sleep at night. I'd go maybe a whole night without sleeping, maybe another whole night without sleeping. The next night I'd be so shattered I might sleep a bit, and then back to not sleeping again. And I'd never had that. I'd always been quite a, a you know, my temperament generally quite quite cool and calm. But I just lost my peace that year. And, it, and that was the first time when my faith was really tested. Because in those nights when I couldn't sleep and all I had was, you know, um, the Lord for company, but didn't feel his company, wasn't experiencing his company. I remember reading through the Psalms and, and thinking, Lord, I, I'm not feeling this at all. All I can do is cling on to your word. All I can do is cling on to your promises. And I really didn't know if I'd come out of that dark time. I didn't know if I'd ever be, you know, um, as it were, um, I wouldn't say I was insane, but I'd lost my peace and I couldn't sleep. And so I, and I didn't know if I'd ever come out of that state. And so to be in that state and not know if I'd ever come out of it, but still cling on to the promises of God, that was the challenge. And by God's grace, I was able to do that. I was able to cling on just because God says so, not because I'm feeling it, not because I can see it, but just because God says so, and trusting in his goodness in the eternal perspective, even though I couldn't see a way through these various things. And by God's grace, I, I he, he brought me through that time, and part of that, I guess, was, was making, by his grace, better decisions next time around, not to take on so much. But I feel like that was the first time I really became a person of prayer. That was the that's the first time I really learned to depend on God in a way that wasn't also depending on myself. I wasn't just paying lip service to trusting in God, but I actually genuinely had a something of a healthy distrust of myself, a distrust of my will, my emotions, my capacities. And actually there was a, I think there was a, what developed there by God's grace was a healthy fear of going my own way rather than God's because I'm not wise in my own strength. And indeed, probably my, if I was to pick a life verse that I've always loved right from childhood, it would be uh, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart uh, and lean not on, on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And that's just one of my favorite verses, not because I've lived uh, according to it infallibly by any means, but perhaps the opposite. I've always known that's a verse that I need to take to heart. And that's what I feel like I began to learn more coming out of that year, not to depend on my own understanding, yeah. um, but really to be to, to desire to be in the will of God more than anything else, because he knows best. And I'm reminded in, in, in Psalm 119, there's a verse that says something on the lines of uh, before I was afflicted, you know, I went my own way. Uh, 
but but once you afflicted me, I learned to love your word. And that's been my experience that actually I, I, I genuinely thank God for that dark time because it was only through that that I really learned to depend on him and his word and to take prayer seriously. And I would say it's only since then, although I've always had a heart for evangelism and, and all the rest of it, really it's almost like clockwork. It's only from that moment onwards that I've seen anything approaching any kind of what you might call anointing or power or fruit in my ministry is God broke me down first, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, well, that is that is just wonderful. And if you're listening to this, and, and maybe you're going something through a crisis of faith, there's a, I think there's a real um, encouragement there from what David shared with us uh, about clinging on to the promises of God, being um, being rooted and grounded really in the Word of God, and uh, and and um, trusting that. You know, um, Jesus Himself said, "Your word is truth." <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, for those listening, uh, the the power of the Word of God in a crisis, um, mm. fantastic. Now, um, you obviously left Oxford. Uh, I'm not quite sure sort of what you did immediately leaving Oxford, but but in 2018, you set up a ministry called Brefos. Um, how did how did that happen? I mean, mm. uh, and what does Brefos mean? So you may want to start with what does Brefos mean? Yeah. How did how do you get involved? Because I'd love to know how God guided you in that. Mm. Um, mm. You know, I'm always interested in how God works in people's lives. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So uh, Brefos is a New Testament Greek word, and it's simply it means baby or infant. It's the word that's used in, for example, Luke chapter 1. It's used of... John the Baptist leaping for joy in the womb. He's described as a brephos, a baby. And he's leaping for joy because of the proximity of his saviour and, and relative, Jesus, who at that moment was, was probably a, a tiny embryo, possibly not even implanted, just a few days after fertilisation in Mary's womb, near, womb nearby. And uh, so John's described as a brephos there. What's interesting is the same Greek word, brephos, is used to describe Jesus himself in Luke chapter two as a newborn baby. So there's there's Jesus lying in a manger, a newborn baby, and he's a brephos. Mm. Um, really, why this word um, kind of jumped out to me was what we've got here is the same word that's used of the unborn child and the born child, the child in the womb and the child out of the womb. And that really encapsulates how God sees the unborn child absolutely equal with the born child, there's no distinction. There's no moral distinction. The nature, the value of the child does not change at birth. Um, but they're utterly equal with us. They're our neighbours. And so Brefos, the word Brefos really encapsulates the heart of this ministry, which is to help the church to see the unborn child as God sees the unborn child. Which, of course, means uh, what do we see biblically? What does the, what does the Bible reveal to us about the real nature of the unborn child and the value in God's eyes, because it's God who created all of us uh, in the womb, and he's the one who, who knows what we're worth. And so it's, it's a burden to see the church engaging with the word of God, um, valuing the unborn child as God values them, and responding accordingly. And so that's that's really what, what Brefos is at heart. And as you say, we, we, we by God's grace, we, we launched this ministry back in 2018. Now, prior to that, straight out of university, I did a couple of years um, with an organization called Teach First, so teaching in a secondary school, training on the job. I then um, followed a call into working 
on the staff team of a church that we were a part of as an evangelist primarily um, and Bible teacher for um, two and a half years. And it was during that time, really, the Lord called us into this work. Um, and it was a calling like no other. We felt called, you know, we prayed and we were led to go for the teach first thing and then likewise for the church thing. But there was something different about this calling. There was something um, significant, I think, um, very long lasting. I, I'm in this calling, I think, until either abortion is ended or Jesus comes back or I die. I mean, I really think that this is this is where I'm going to be for, for the rest of, you know, for how, however long it takes. And so um, but having said that, if you if you told me 10 years ago, this is what I'd be doing, I wouldn't even have understood what you were talking about. I was pretty much totally unaware of the realities of abortion. Um, I've always been notionally pro-life. I've always had that position, but I had no idea what abortion really was, what really happens in an abortion or how prevalent abortion is in our country. So it was it was beginning in my university years that I just got glimpses of this issue, got more informed about it. And so finding out, for example, the statistics, 210,000 babies were killed last year in the womb in the UK. That's about one, and that's just England and Wales. That's one in four babies approximately. So one in four babies. For every three that are born, one is killed. Um, about one in three women in the UK are believed to have at least one abortion in their lifetime. So the scale of this, you know, it's so hidden. You don't see this when you walk around on the streets. It's not visible. And yet it's everywhere. It's just everywhere. This is the most prevalent justice issue or social issue, if you like, of our day. It's everywhere. And I just didn't know that growing up. It's just hidden. And so when I got to know some of these stats and also just the reality of what happens in an abortion, it's very easy for the idea of abortion to be quite abstract. You just you think of it and the language is deliberately designed to conceal the reality of abortion. So we hear about termination of pregnancy or top, you know, we hear about ending a pregnancy, uh, you know, euphemisms like reproductive choice and autonomy and so on. Um, but the reality, and if you'll forgive me, just being a little bit um, candid here in, dis in my description, what happens in an abortion is, is nothing less than using metal tools to dismember a child alive or to chop them, cut them, crush them, or it's to use poisonous chemicals to, to essentially suffocate or starve the child or uh, later term, a lethal injection to the heart of, of, such, um, of such painfulness that they don't even use this injection on, on animals uh, without, without anesthetizing them first. This is the reality of abortion, but I had no idea. There I was growing up in a biblical church. I was pro-life, but I didn't have a clue. So as I learned more about this, um, the, the level of conviction just grew and grew and grew until this moment where uh, my wife and I, and there were one or two friends on a similar journey, we just got to this point where we were convinced this was the great issue of our day, if you like. Uh, we think back in history of the transatlantic slave trade or apartheid or the rise of the Nazi party, there are certain issues which just are paramount in their day. And they often start off, they're hidden, they're accepted, people tolerate them. Um, but we look back in history and we think, how on earth did that ever happen? And my conviction is that's what abortion is. Today, I remember watching um, a film with my wife. This must be eight years ago, six years ago, something like that. And um, it was a film actually about uh, slavery in the States. It was called The Help. Uh, perhaps 
folks have, have seen that or heard about it. But the, the film's got absolutely nothing to do with abortion. It's just about racism, really. And we watched this film. And at the end of the film, we both turned to each other and we, we just said abortion. What that issue was back then, this, this huge accepted endemic injustice in society, abortion is now. We just had this conviction. This is the biggie of our day. And, um, and so that was kind of um, becoming more and more prominent and, and, and sort of forefront in, in our thinking. But, but if you'd asked me, well, what are you going to do about it? I'd have, I wouldn't have a clue. Um, and so for me, a pivotal moment was bumping into the work of CBRUK. Uh, a friend of mine, Christian, was on a similar sort of journey to me in terms of being awakened to abortion. And he got involved in what, from a distance, sounded like some kind of, I don't know, um, protesting or picketing or something on the streets. And the honest truth is I didn't like the sound of it. It sounded to me pretty cringe. You know, uh, I've been conditioned by the media to have all the sort of worst stereotypes in my mind's eye when you talk about pro-life picketing, you know, the sort of Hillsborough Baptist um, sort of uh, stereotype, angry, shouty, redneck men, you know, um, threatening young girls and so on. And I guess I had something of that stereotype in my mind, but at best I thought this just sounds a bit pointless and, and, and futile. I went out to see him on the streets. He invited me along. I went out, to be honest, with half a mind uh, to haul him off the streets. I thought I'd, I'd, I'd be going down there to kind of take him aside and say, look, Rich, I don't think this is the way. The reality is when I got there, I was instantly convinced by what they were doing uh, instantly. Um, and what they were doing was this. They, were, they, they weren't protesting. Um, they weren't shouting out. What they were doing is they were um, engaging members of the public, asking, what do you think? What do you think about abortion? What's your view? Socratic questioning. And they were showing them the reality, the information. They were giving them the facts. And showed, so there were pictures of living embryos uh, showing the humanity of the unborn child in all its majesty. And then also pictures of what happens to the baby, what a baby looks like after the violence of the procedure that we call abortion. And these pictures speak for themselves. So, so what we say at CBIK is we're not protesting abortion. We don't need to. All we need to do is show abortion and it protests itself. And, and instantly I found that approach so compelling, so honest, um, so truth-based uh, and, and honouring, really, of the people we're talking to. We're not just trying to enforce opinions on them. We're not um, chasing them down the streets or, or anything like that. We're simply standing there quietly, respectfully, showing them the reality, asking them what they think. And we see minds changed all the time through this method. So seeing that work, I actually joined the team the same day. I just, I just signed up and got involved straight away. And I ended up helping that team for a couple of years as a volunteer. And during that time, you know, it was almost like um, uh, perhaps if you've seen the film The Matrix, there's that kind of moment where you you almost the curtains pull back and you see reality behind the kind of image that we're used to and you see what's really going on. And spiritually speaking, that year or two was a bit like that for me. I remember standing on the streets and it was as though um, scales had fallen from my eyes all over again. Uh, just seeing something of what our society is really like. You know, we, we think of our society as quite civilised. People obey the traffic lights. The police are quite polite and, and so on. 
the reality is behind the scenes, we live in an incredibly violent society um, where evil is called good and good is called evil. And just standing on the streets and speaking with members of the public about their views on abortion and so on, you, of course, you meet, you meet a whole range of responses, but it left such a deep impression on me, seeing more of what the Bible talks about, the depravity of the human heart, what we're capable of, what we're capable yeah. of tolerating, what we're capable of um, justifying. And it was almost like becoming a Christian all over again in terms of just the depth of impression of spiritual realities they're up against. How did you go from that initial engagement and, and becoming more involved to, to deciding, you know what, I'm going to dedicate my life mm. to this? How did God guide you mm. to do mm. that? Because that's a big, bold decision. Yeah, so I think over those two years, it, this was a growing passion of ours. And we were praying a lot about it. And then I'd say there was, a, there was about a 12-month period where the Lord spoke to us very clearly about this issue and about going full-time. And so we were praying about the possibility of going full-time. And um, and I was reading the Bible in one year at the time. Um, so I, I, was, I was following a kind of a Bible in one year track. And it was just amazing how often the readings for that day matched up with either what we just prayed about or something that happened that day or whatever. I'll, um, I've noted down one or two um, examples so I don't get them in the wrong order here. Um, but it, it really was quite amazing. So, so for example, we were um, praying uh, one evening for God to, to lead us very specifically um, about whether or not to go full time. Because so, so great was the burden. I guess this is why we were praying about it. The burden was so great. And we couldn't see anyone really doing anything about this issue. There was such a gap, there was such a need, especially in the church. We couldn't really see churches engaging much on this issue. And so it seemed so clear there was a need. Um, but there was a long way to go to go full time. For one thing, there was no budget for this. There was no, there was no money waiting for someone to take on a job or anything like that. So it, there was certain, it was certainly a step into the unknown. And, and hence, I guess we, we felt we needed to pray and, and seek specific guidance. But I remember one evening, my wife was praying, praying for um, specific guidance. And I remember her praying, Lord, you know, show us through signs, circumstances, you know, make something happen tomorrow. And I remember sitting there thinking, you don't need to tell the Lord how to tell us, you know, he'll take care of that. You don't need to do that. But funnily enough, that's exactly what happened. So what happened was that the very next morning I was, um, I was reading my Bible in one year. Um, and, uh, and just to give some context here, 1967 is the year that the abortion act was passed and the project of CBI UK at the time on the streets was called abort 67. Okay. So 67 being the year that, abortion was passed and 67 being the name of the project we were volunteering with okay. so i was reading my bible one year on a train going up to london and um and then there was a there was a woman sitting on the chair behind me i didn't know her but she got on the phone and she kept saying the number 67 she didn't say any other number she kept saying 67 on the phone i think she was talking about um a property or an allotment or something but kept saying lot 67 67 so my ears are kind of pricked up and I'm thinking, what's going on here? She keeps saying 67. And then the, the chap on the seat next to me, so he didn't know this woman, nothing to do with her. He got on the phone and the first thing he said was, um, why isn't Dave doing that? So we've got 67 behind me, next to me, why isn't Dave doing that? And then I'm um, reading my, my Bible in one year and the comments 
uh, in the comments on the passages for that day, um, it said it's not wrong to fundraise because this has been a big hang up for me was I hate asking for money and I didn't fancy the prospect of, you know, having to fundraise a salary or whatever. Um, and there it was saying it's not wrong to fundraise. Okay, So then I saw a friend late that morning and I said, you know, so I think maybe we need to sort of pray about this. And my friend said, what do you, what do you mean? Pray confirmation for the confirmation. You know, it was obvious already, but that's what we did. And, and again, the next morning, something happened. So we prayed again for confirmation. And the very next day in my Bible in one year readings, uh, I, this reading popped up. Uh, they shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters. The land was desecrated by their blood. Therefore, the Lord was angry with his inheritance. That's Psalm 106. Um, soon after that, um, I was invited to a training weekend for pro-life advocates. And um, I almost didn't make it, actually. There was such fierce spiritual attack that, that seemed rallied against me to stop me going. My wife was suddenly very, very ill, and I felt... I couldn't leave her. And I was really very close to saying, look, I, I just can't make it. But but we prayed and my wife said, look, I think you need to go. And mercifully, she was she was OK and she managed. But I nearly didn't make it. And I'm sure that was spiritual attack, but I, I did make it. And it was at that weekend that I communicated my my intention to go full time to the director of CDR UK. And then the very next day, uh, my reading in the Bible in one year was this. They do not plead the case of the fatherless to win it. They do not defend the rights of the poor. Should I not punish them for this, declares the Lord? Should I not avenge myself on such a nation as this? So I shared that with my wife when I got back. And that night she said, uh, my wife said, there was no doubt in her mind whatsoever that we were being called to go full time. And then the next morning, it was the reading for the day. If you falter in times of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say that we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs your heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? Mm. And we're just so grateful to the Lord. He just made it so, um, so clear. It wasn't difficult, really, at all. He made it so clear. Yeah. And... Um, the clarity of that calling has been, um, I, I, we've never questioned it. And that's been an incredible um, pillar of strength, as it were, for us in this work. We know that the Lord has called us to this. Yeah. And amazingly that, you know, uh, within uh, a very short space of time, before I even actually started asking anyone for any kind of financial support, two people came forward and just said, oh, I want to support you financially. And they've been faithfully doing so ever since. And so that we've never lacked. We've never we've never uh, wanted for anything. The Lord has been providing faithfully, financially for three and a half years now. And uh, we're just ever so grateful. The Lord is the Lord is good. That's wonderful. I can see sort of this emotion in your eyes as you're speaking there, as you're, as you're remembering how God mm. called you to do this. Um, mm. Now, I mean... What doors has the Lord opened for you since you've gone full time? But also, I want to ask, um, do you encounter opposition to your work? And mm. Where does that come from? Yeah, thank you. So the, 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 the Breathos project, which we, by God's grace, set up in 2018, um, was specifically for the church. So CBIK had always been seeking to engage the church and, and, and to get the church to be part of this mission to to 
challenge the way society is thinking about abortion and to stand up for the rights of the fatherless and so on. And CBRM is the Centre for Bioethical Reform UK, isn't it? That's right, yeah. And so CBRM UK has been around for about 12 years or so. Um, but uh, as I say, when I was getting the call to come in full time, they, from their perspective, had also been praying and looking for someone to take on what they were thinking of as a sort of church liaison role. They could see there was a need to engage the church more proactively. And as I was coming on board, um, it seemed clear to me and my wife that what was needed was much more than just, um, as it were, a church liaison officer, but actually a new project designed especially to reach the church and to help the church to see right from the beginning. Because I think what we realize is we need to start a long way back. We need to teach from the word of God what the unborn even is, why this matters. And so we set up a whole project of CBI UK called Breathos, and we wanted to make it as as kind of um, accessible to the church as possible, to make it clear this is a ministry for the church. We want to help the church biblically to see the unborn rightly. So um, my focus really has been working with the church, with pastors, with churches across the country, of any denomination. And for the first, I would say, nine, ten months or so, it was very, very slow, slow going, a lot of resistance, very, very difficult to find any church that has been teaching about abortion. And when you knock on the door of a church, whether it's an email or a call or whatever it is, and say, look, can we talk about abortion? Um, the resistance can be colossal. It can be colossal and, and quite surprisingly so. So even churches that, that would seem on the face of it very vibrant and very strong, even some of the more you know, conservative biblical churches, when it comes to abortion, there's a great deal of resistance. And, and really, Satan's been sitting on this issue for many decades. And uh, most of us have just left it untouched. And so in that, in that environment of silence, in that um, vacuum, um, all sorts of fears and misunderstandings have kind of come in and are just kind of keeping it where it is. So a lot of people have never really thought it through biblically. Um, a lot of pastors haven't. You know, this, the, the Bible colleges don't necessarily talk much about abortion. So there's a real cycle of silence. And, and then there's fear. There's fear if we start talking about this, we're going to, you know, uh, upset people or whatever. And so it's very difficult to, to break through that and say that we need to talk about abortion. Um, and so for the first few months, it was hard going, very hard going. Um, and we had some real battles, actually. I mean, to the extent of having, you know, dates in the diary agreed to speak on abortion. And then those dates are revoked because someone at, someone at that church kicked off and said, we can't have this. And then just gets cancelled. It takes very little. It's very fragile. It takes very little. It takes one person to really kick off um, or object. And the whole thing just gets postponed indefinitely. So that's been probably the biggest challenge is it, you know, sadly, the the biggest challenge has been from within the church. It's been opposition from within the church. It's resistance. And and often it takes, you know, the form of it's not the right time or, you know, we're not quite ready to go public on this or, you know, it's, you know, uh, it's not that we're not pro-life. It's just, you know, doesn't quite fit with the program, what we're doing at the moment. It's, you know, you, you hear all these sorts of things. Um, but what it comes down to ultimately is it gets pushed off uh, and pushed off. And so, and we still encounter that, but something kind of, it was like a, a switch was flicked um, about 10 months in, 11 months in. We, we, we hosted our first conference for church leaders, our breath conference. 
And from my perspective, just out of nowhere, all of a sudden, 100 people came. 100 people came to this first church leaders conference. And, uh, and it was amazing. It was a powerful time. And from then on, it was different. Um, it was a case of people getting in touch with us, not just us trying to get in touch with them. Um, churches started teaching on abortion. So um, I would say more or less every church I've had anything to do with um, has never taught on abortion before, at least not in living memory. So basically, there might be one or two exceptions, but, but none of them were teaching on abortion before. And I was just looking at our um, records the other day, and there are now 42 churches that we've taught on abortion in. And I think pretty much all of those had not taught before. And then there are other churches who are teach who are now teaching on abortion themselves regularly, maybe once a year or whatever. Yeah. It's a start. It's a start. You know, this is we're, we're still right at the beginning of this, but by God's grace, we have seen something of the beginnings of a change in the culture of yeah. at least some churches. Yeah. I, I'm, where, where does the word of God fit into that? In, into your your sort of um, speaking to the church pastors and then then passing it on to others. Where, where yeah. does the Bible fit into that? Well, it's absolutely foundational. You know, that's where it all comes from. So, so when I approach a church and and I'm asking them to engage with abortion and initially I'm just talking about a private conversation with the pastor or the elders or whatever let's just talk about this and and want to make sure you know what's going on with abortion and let's talk about what the bible's got to say and and how we need to respond but it's absolutely foundational it's it's the word of god that makes it clear to us and when life begins and science confirms that um and why life matters and what and what abortion is in God's eyes, and you know, you you can't you can't be a Christian, but then just censor out half of the Word of God. You can't say abortion is not an important issue if it's important to God. And, and, and this is what we're trying to help people to see that being pro life, be actively pro life, is not an optional extra. This is not a kind of my hobby. It's not my interest. This is about being a disciple of Christ. And, and he defines what being a disciple of Christ is. We don't define it. We don't let our sort of church subculture define what disciples are meant to be. But the word of God defines it. And Jesus makes it very clear that we're called to love our neighbors ourselves. We're to make disciples, not converts. The Great Commission is about disciples who are taught to obey everything he commands us. And uh, obedience to, to the law, caring about justice, and especially the weak, the, the vulnerable, the fatherless, the innocent, and, and especially on the issue of child sacrifice, which is such a it's, a, it's an issue that grieves the heart of God so much. Biblically, we know that. Um, there's just no question that this ought to be really central to what it means to be a Christian today, to what it means to do church today. Because it's central to the heart of God. And we know that through the scriptures. That's the only way we know that. So the Bible's absolutely foundational. And whenever I get a chance to speak in churches uh, on a Sunday morning or, or midweek, um, we always start with scripture. It's, it, that's, that's our foundation. We open up often at Luke, Luke chapter 10. We look at the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we root it in scripture. When does life begin? Scripture tells us. Science confirms. Why does life matter? Scripture tells us what is abortion, spiritually speaking. Scripture tells us what are we called to do in response. Scripture tells us so the, the Bible is absolutely foundational, and and I think you know the people of God. I have found just they love the Word of God. That's a mark of being a Christian. Doesn't mean you don't sometimes struggle with the Word of God. Sometimes you don't know where to turn. You don't know how to understand it. 
But the people of God love the word of God. And when they hear it taught faithfully and in an applied way, it's like water, isn't it? Refreshing dry land. And that's been my experience that um, when they do get to hear a biblical treatment of abortion, they're grateful and they love it. But unfortunately, often the kind of where the bottleneck is or the blockage is often is, is the pulpits. It's not getting through. The word of God has a lot to say. The people want to hear it, but the pulpits are not passing that on. It's kind of getting stuck there. It's not getting through. So I think one of the greatest needs we have in this nation today on the issue of abortion is that that blockage in the pulpits. Many people still have not heard biblical teaching on abortion, and that's really one of our greatest problems. Yeah, I love to hear what you said there about the, the absolutely crucial, vital place of the Word of God in what you do. I mean, that is just that chimes so much with what we're seeking to do as, as precepts, you know, uh, equipping people with with how to study the Bible for themselves. You know, we all need yeah. good preachers on a Sunday morning and go to hear the preachers. But actually, that's one day of a, of a seven day mm-hmm. week. You know, there are six other days here and God has got so much he wants to teach us. Yeah. The question is, are, are we engaging in the book? You know, do yeah. we know how to engage in the book? Yeah. Do we know how to read it? Do we know how to understand it in its context and, and then mm-hmm. live it out, which is what you're seeking to do? And I think, I think again, if you're listening um, and you struggle with that, um, understanding the word of God, you know, it's a big book. Um, <laughs> then do contact us as a ministry, because that's what God has raised us up to do, to help people mm-hmm. engage with the word of God. And you've heard the impact that the word of God has had on Dave's life and 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 others and and starting to have on our nation which is just so fantastic so so please do uh do contact us now now what would you this is a bit of a tough question what would you say to someone who may be listening who has had an abortion uh and maybe still suffering some of the consequences or someone who may be contemplating what so you're you're in a conversation with them i mean what, what would you say to them yeah the first thing i would say to anyone who's had an abortion um, is I'm so sorry to hear that. And and how are you? You know, um, we know that one in three women in the UK has at least one abortion in her lifetime. It's incredibly common. And they're post-abortive fathers as well. And uh, the word of God is very clear on what abortion is morally. I'm not talking about um, sidelining that. Um, it is, it is uh, an intentional taking of an innocent human life. However, it's also true that oftentimes even the mothers themselves are not aware of what abortion is. They're not told the truth. The doctors know what they're doing, but often the women are secondary victims of abortion. They don't know what's happening. They're not told the truth about life in the womb. They're not told the truth about what abortion does. Many women are acting under coercion, misinformation. In fact, most of the women we speak with um, say that they, have no, that they feel like they have no choice. They don't call it pro-choice. They call it no choice. Almost every woman I've spoken to has had an abortion uh, who speaks about it says they had they had no choice. They were left no option. That's that's what they say. And sure enough, it's often uh, men who've let them down and abandoned them. So in all sincerity, I say I'm so sorry for whatever it is that contributed to that. And I'm sorry also for the the hurt that is no doubt still there. It's a very traumatic thing. You're, you're told it just this will make your problem go away. But for many women, that's when their problem starts post-abortion trauma is very very common i was speaking to a woman just the other day um who came to a presentation i gave and uh and she she said i should perhaps not give too many details actually but she said how she'd had an abortion a long time ago um 
And she knew that, that it was wrong and she sought forgiveness and she has been forgiven. But that night was the first time she ever made the connection between that abortion and the following trauma she experienced in her life. She'd never realized until I was talking about post-abortion trauma. And so it's very common for women to suffer after an abortion. So the first thing I'd say is I'm, I'm sorry. And, you know, I'm for you. We're on the same side here. And, uh, and to develop that, I would say, look, morally speaking, before God, we're, we're in the same boat. It's not as though there are the goodies over here and the baddies over there, the sort of the good pro-lifers who haven't had an abortion and the nasty pro-abortions who've had abortion. That's not how God sees it. Before God, I, I stand in need of the cross. I'm a sinner. I stand in need of grace and mercy. Uh, I need the cross as much as the next person, whether you've had an abortion or not. And so I want to say emphatically your abortion is not the unforgivable sin. It's not beyond the grace of God. Uh, the cross of Jesus is deeper and more powerful than your abortion. The light is stronger than the darkness. And there is forgiveness and healing for anyone who turns to Christ, no matter what you've done. Uh, there, there's no small print there. And uh, we see that in the way Jesus related to people uh, in his life. Anyone, he never turned away anyone who came to him, anyone who called out to him. He never turned away. It doesn't matter what their history. Even the thief on the cross next to him said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, I tell you the truth. You'll be with me in paradise. He didn't hesitate to grant that forgiveness. He wasn't looking for any kind of, you know, reparations to be made or anything like that. The thief couldn't do any of that. All he could do is look to Jesus. And that's all any of us can do is look to Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you've had an abortion, I just want to encourage you, dare to come before the Lord and call upon him. Uh, you confess whatever wrong you've done, and he will forgive you, and he will take you to himself. He won't reject anyone who comes to him and calls out to him as Savior and Lord. So that's what I would say. If you've had an abortion, uh, come to the Lord with that. Confess and receive um, forgiveness. Uh, as for someone who's considering abortion, someone who's pregnant right now, I want to encourage you uh, along a couple of lines. I, I want to encourage you to get to know the facts. Um, there are many people around you who might claim to be helping you, advising you. They may well be sincere. They may well love you, but they may not themselves know the reality of life in the womb, how developed your baby already is. Do you know from three weeks, there's a heartbeat. So if you know you're pregnant, there's already a heartbeat in there. Uh, from 10 weeks after fertilization, you can there's a fingerprint. You can tell if the baby's right-handed or left-handed in the womb from their movements as early as that. So I want to encourage you to get to know the wonder of life in the womb. Um, those advising you may not even be aware of themselves, or it, the doctors, for example, the abortion providers, may well know that. They won't think to tell you. They want to keep all of that out of the question. And the same with the facts of abortion. Get to know what actually happens. It's essential you understand what it really is. Um, and we want to encourage you that, you know, it's always fear that drives people to abortion. It's always fear. And we want to encourage you that whatever your fear is, there is help to overcome that fear. And you can get in touch with us. We'd love to help you practically uh, with information, with support, whatever you need. Uh, there are the resources to look after you and your baby. And we just want to encourage you. Um, that when God creates a life, um, it's it's uh, because he knows there's, as it were, space for that baby. There's, there are resources and um, and we would love to be a part of helping you to do that. I just want to speak courage to you and congratulate you. You're already a mother. There's already a baby in your womb if you're pregnant. 
and we want to encourage you to stand firm uh, and to uh, continue to nurture that life, that precious life. And we will come alongside you with any help you need. We've got contacts all over the country, indeed the world. We can put you in touch with people wherever you are who are desperate to help you in any way you need to bring up that child. Brilliant. Fantastic. Now, we, we, we talked about the Word of God, and, and uh, I think you know it's come across loud and clear why, why the Word of God is important to you. Um, we're going to come in and land shortly. Um, do you have a favourite uh, Bible verse or, or character or book of the Bible? Mm. Um, great question. I think probably it changes over the course of my life a bit. I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying and benefiting from the Psalms more and more. What I love about the Psalms is you see this kind of um, you, you see this kind of continuity between being honest before the Lord. You know, here is here's how I'm feeling. Here's what I'm experiencing. Almost to the point of heresy almost to the point of blasphemy, you know, accusing God, where are you? You know, have you forgotten to your unfading love? You know, why do you not see this? Why are you not doing anything? And yet in almost every single Psalm, that's, that's juxtaposed with this incredible spiritual faith, this kind of insight, this proclamation of hope, often in spite of circumstances, you know, but surely you always do good to Israel. You know, you do see, you do love, I'm, I, I know I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There's this kind of that juxtaposition of, of yeah, honesty about the hard stuff and yet holding on to the, to the hope and faith we're told is, you know, being certain, you know, it's the certainty of things not seen. That's that and hoping for what is not seen. Um, That is the, that is the essence of so much of our walk with, with the Lord is, is holding on to things we're not yet seeing. And it's not without reason. It's not a silly thing to do. We know the Lord is faithful uh, he's always kept his promises. So we're not talking about sort of blind, wishful thinking. But mature Christian faith is holding on to the truths of the word of God and what he promises us, even if all appearances right now are the very opposite. So I find that really helpful at this stage in my walk with the Lord. I just love the Psalms. Um, I mentioned that that Proverbs verse is a bit of an important one for me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Um, I've always enjoyed... Uh, you know um, the New Testament letters. I, I love. I love. Re- I, I enjoy. I like theology. You know, I studied theology, and I and I love kind of Paul's kind of theological brain, and I love kind of making the connections and understanding more of of God and salvation in that way. Um, I could go on and on, but I I, I think that, that those are some of my favourite things. Yeah, uh, that's great. That is that is great, and um, yeah, all all those things you mentioned there, uh, Psalms and and the letters, whatever. Um, we love too. We've got we've got great studies in those. Um, so if anything that David said said, you know what, I really want to get into the Psalms. Um, contact us. We've got some great studies for you. Um, how can we be praying for you in, in the in the days ahead? Thank you. That's that's very kind. Thank you. Um, I think always I appreciate prayer for wisdom. Um, I mentioned the first eight months, nine months or so of our ministry, uh, we had one set of challenges, which was kind of you know, breaking ground and kind of getting anywhere. Right now, I think we've got a different set of challenges, which is um, there are probably three or four different ways I could be spending my day. You know, there are, um, and by God's grace, you know, there are there are opportunities, there are doors opened and so on. And I really need wisdom where to deploy our limited resources, uh, especially of time and energy. 
wisdom for you know where's where's the lord at you know um i can feel pulled in different directions you know um so just wisdom for you know if it's the lord's will i want to do it if it's not from god i don't want to waste my time on that and um uh, a friend a friend an evangelist jay john said said a couple of years ago something along the lines of um you and i have enough time to do the will of god uh, and i love that it's so simple but so profound you and i have enough time to do the will of god and yet i know that i could be tempted to try and do a whole load of other things as well so um just to come stay in lane just do what god's calling me to do every day wisdom um, I think, uh, you know, the, there's, there's the scripture that says, above all else, guard your heart for, from it flows everything you do. Um, and in this ministry, we do come up against opposition, uh, even from within the church. And so pray that, that my heart would be pure and right before the Lord, that, I, that no um, ungodly, you know, it says, in, isn't it in James, I think, that the wrath of man doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. And in this kind of work, whether it's anger against the injustice itself, or even against those who are presenting resistance and, and obstacles to us. I need to make sure my heart's right before the Lord. Um, I think it's right to be angry against injustice, but there's a kind of anger that's not right. And it would be easy to become embittered in this kind of work, um, facing the, 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 you know, the, the persecution and resistance that we do. So please pray my heart would be soft and gracious in the Lord's sight. Um, and yeah, if, I, if, if, if you can, I'd just love your prayers for my family, for my, for my girls, that they would grow up in the fear and love of the Lord, that they would come to know and love him. Um, they're young girls, five and two. And, uh, I believe the, the five-year-old already does know and love the Lord, for which we're grateful. But please pray that she'd be kept in the Lord's hands and for the, for Ilsa, the two-year-old, that she had come to know the Lord, um, and serve him all the days of her life too. Uh, we'd love those prayers. And being in quite frontline ministry, we, we do experience, you know, spiritual attack and so on. And sometimes I'm away from the home doing travels and speaking in various places. So please pray for my, my dear wife, Anandi, and um, yeah, that, that you would, that she would be upheld in, in her ministry of mothering. And also she's got a part to play in the ministry too. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I, I think this, your journey with all this is just beginning. I sense that, mm. um, yeah, you, you you know you mentioned past issues of days gone past, and you know um, slavery and Wilberforce, and you know mm. I, I'm going to pray that you have favour with influential people in the government. Mm. That's what I'm going to pray. Mm. Thank you. God, God would open up doors because because yeah, uh, we 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 have uh, liberal legislation in our country mm. to do with this issue. Mm. Um, and uh, so I'm going to pray that you have favour and God opens mm. doors uh, in mm. government Thank you. Uh, as you Thank continue you. to pursue him and uh, you know uh, God is able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think Ephesians 3 20, 21 mm. and he is, he really is um, because he's God <laughs> yeah. he's God, he can do that so uh, I think it's been an incredible story uh, to date, you know, from a young, young lad, you know, 40 <laughs> years old or whatever. Um, <laughs> just incredible. God obviously had you, had you marked out mm. um, and studying, you know, in a very prestigious place, Oxford theology and having that grounding in biblical languages and a love of the, a love of the word of God and how that's led you and how that's a foundation for you. 
I think that is just fantastic. Um, so we will pray and uh, keep an eye out for what happens with this really important issue of our day and uh, that God gives you the strength to persevere in the battle. Thank you. Thank you. So thank, thank you. you for being on the Bible and Me podcast today. Uh, it's a great pleasure, privilege and a pleasure. Thank you for having me.